everyone, and welcome to Alpha and Omega, the Middle Electric Boogaloo, Escape from the Temple of Voodoo. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I just added that because you wanted me to make it longer and longer. Yeah, so why not? Uh, we'll see how long that bit goes. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, co-host, uh, Caleb Carnes. And I'm Tim. We are here today to talk about something a little special, and it's a little different. Uh, I'm going to go into a little bit of a spiel here for a little while, so stick with me. Pro wrestling. <laughs> if you haven't turned this off yet, thank you. <laughs> I wanted to just kind of talk about this for a little bit because Tim and I have talked about pro wrestling pretty much every time I've been on the podcast. Yep. It is something that I have loved since I was about four or five years old. Okay. I remember vividly uh, seeing the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, uh, and not liking it. Ooh. And then... Fast forward a couple years, and I saw Brett the Hitman Hart, <laughs> and I thought, that guy's cool. It looks real. I know this isn't real, because I've seen Mike Tyson knock people out. <laughs> this is cool, because it looks real. And I got to see him, and I remember him wrestling uh, the Barbarian. Okay. The first ever match that I remember watching. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom was actually in the hospital at that point. Oh. She had had a neck surgery. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, she just kind of let me watch it and say, no, it's okay. You can watch this. It's fine. I watched that, and I was mesmerized. Okay. And the stories from it just captivated me. And I, from that point on, knew this was something that was going to be in my life for a very long time <laughs> because I got to see stories develop from this. Yeah. It's yeah. not the action. It's not the silly violence with chairs going over and uh, onto people's backs and people going through tables and all of the pageantry is okay. But what I love to see is the character development of pro wrestling. Because, folks, pro wrestling is a performance art. Yep. And that's what makes it so cool. So today, Tim and I, he's giggling, but yep. I'm so excited for this. <laughs> we are going to talk about our favorite matches mm -hmm. in pro wrestling, our top three, each of us will talk about this. We'll go back and forth and discuss this. Hopefully by the end of this, you've maybe got an appreciation for the performance art that is pro wrestling. Maybe you already love pro wrestling and you're like, oh man, yeah, I want to see if this matches up with my favorite matches. Maybe you were once a fan and you're getting back into it. Hang with us though. See if you like it and just give it a chance because I guarantee you it's probably going to be like my wife. We went to a SmackDown show that was here in St. Louis mm -hmm. and she had never been to a pro wrestling show. She really kind of didn't quite know if it was real or not. That's how <laughs> unaware she was uh, of pro wrestling. Nice. But by the end of the night, she was chanting. She was excited. Mm -hmm. She wanted to buy a T-shirt. She was getting into everything that is Pro wrestling. And yes, t-shirts are a big part of pro wrestling. It's true. Yes. It was also the night that we got to see Daniel Bryan uh, turn heel on AJ Styles. It was, okay. an, it was an incredible, very fun night, All right. I will say. So uh, strap strap in, uh, sit on a nice chair, don't hit anyone with it, and uh, maybe open up uh, a little brewski, uh, get yourself a glass of tea, uh, whatever it is you want. Just enjoy. Absolutely. So, yeah. And if you're not a pro wrestling fan, it is Caleb and I. Who knows where this conversation will go? That's true. So if you listen to the last episode, we go down rabbit holes all the time. So It could diverge, but uh, with pro wrestling, I can focus myself a little <laughs> more. <laughs> well, while you're talking about two grown men who probably have ADD, 
Mm. So it's fine. Absolutely. So uh, to start this off, um, you know, Tim, I, tell me actually this. Who is your favorite pro wrestler of all time and why? Uh, Shawn Michaels, HBK. Okay. And why is that? Uh, I just, I, I like, well, first off, before he came back, he retired in 98. So I knew him in the 90s with him and Diesel, like as that weird tag team. Yeah. And that's my first memories of HBK. And I just, he was such an arrogant douche. <laughs> in real life, too. In real life, too. But he was also one of the smaller guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, being a smaller guy myself, I identified with that. Uh, being like, oh, look at what he can do. He's not the biggest guy, but he also sells incredibly well. Absolutely. Even though this is hindsight, me saying that he sells very well. But By the way, if uh, you're uninitiated, selling is uh, the part of pro wrestling where uh, you feign an injury or you are attacked in a certain place, body part, uh, by your opponent, and you pretend like that part hurts. So if I were to uh, throw a punch at Tim's stomach and I would continually attack his stomach, he would then probably clutch his stomach throughout the rest of the match. Yep. Uh, and so, like, my my earliest memories are HBK and Diesel, and then later DX and him just being more comedy and letting that sarcastic, like, slide against Sergeant Slaughter or Vince McMahon, that really ingrained me with yeah. HBK. Yeah. Uh, close second would probably be Sting, the icon Sting. Sting's, those are two excellent choices for sure. Uh, my favorite was, they were, he, he was a rival to both of them in different companies, was Bret Hart. Bret the Hitman Hart. Uh, with... With Sean, it was very real. Those, <laughs> they had a very real uh, issue. A lot of it had to do with uh, Sean Michaels' um, politicking. Out of the re- politicking and out-of-the-ring issues. He had a drug problem and, and personal issues. Uh, Brett was a little more old school and took the business. You know, He still takes it very seriously. He it's does. Very, he grew up in pro wrestling. Uh, he is one of 13 children. Uh, all of them were either wrestlers or married wrestlers, all of his uh, uh, siblings. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was very ingrained in him to appreciate pro wrestling. His father was a wrestling legend in Canada. So uh, I remember, the and also in WCW, Bret Hart and Sting, they had the same finishing move. One's called the Sharpshooter. It's Bret Hart's finishing hold, and Sting's was the Scorpion Deathlock. Funny enough, it's really just the same thing. And They would just joke about it, too. Uh, Outside of the ring, they said, eh, it's the same thing. Um, (laughs) Did they come up with it independently? Do we know? Yeah, so it was two separate ones. Uh, Sting, I can't remember Sting's introduction to it. He actually did it first. He did it before Brett. Okay. Um, and then Brett was trying to figure out what his finisher was going to be. And uh, I believe it was Conan, actually. Conan was in WWF, I believe, at the time. Mm-hmm. Or it actually might have been Pat Patterson. But they had seen, uh, was it Ricky Choshu, I believe, in uh, Japan, was using it as a finisher. Okay. And so... They showed Brett how to do it, and I don't know. Like Sting's looked great. Sting was always great at selling the drama of turning someone over and putting into it, but I always thought Brett's looked a little cleaner and a little more vicious. Uh, it's just the way he, Brett also protected it. And by protected it, uh, whenever you put someone in a finishing hold, the way you protect it is they would tap out no matter what when yep. they were in that. Sting would kind of sell it a little bit more. He would let guys get to the ropes. Yeah, by letting them, I mean it would be uh, a design spot or part of the match where, oh, no, you're not going to tap out yet. Get to the ropes. Okay, they get to the ropes. Brett, no, he wanted you to know if they were in the sharpshooter, this match is about to end. So the crowd would typically maybe erupt a little quicker because they're like, oh, this is definitely the end. Stings, they might be like, oh, is this the end or is it? Well, because Sting had a secondary, the death drop or yep. death Right. Yeah, Scorpion Death, death drop, drop, which is basically he would come from behind the person, 
put his arm uh, around their neck from behind and then just drop them straight onto you know the back of their head, quote unquote. But really, it was it was a flat back bump they were taking. They were landing mm-hmm. on their back. Uh, did Brett have a secondary? No, or was well, this a sharpshooter? It was always the sharpshooter, and Brett was always great about finding new pinning uh, combinations. Okay. So he might try, you know. A schoolboy, which is where you roll roll them up from behind. He might do a victory roll where he's on top of their shoulders and, and come down on them and pull their legs up from underneath them, which is okay. really cool. Uh, in fact, one of Brett's uh, best performances of all time, um, there's this tournament, and it's terrible now the way it's used. It's called the King of the Ring. Oh, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, at the time, it was a one-day tournament where the winner would be called King of the Ring, and it was almost like a make-a-wish. You get something out of it. It's kind of <laughs> cool. Nowadays, uh, if you win King of the Ring, you have to talk like a king and wear a crown. And they oh. use bad English accents. And if they're from you know, Europe, they're probably going to win it. Uh, it's, yeah. it's very silly. Uh, but Brett won it. And it's interesting. If you go back and watch that King of the Ring, he had uh, three matches with three very different opponents, and they were all bigger than him in some way. Uh, one was against a guy named Scott Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was Razor Ramon at the time. Razor was kind of like a, a cool bad guy. Uh, Razor actually started working on Bret Hart's fingers. Like, he started hurting Bret's fingers in the match, and his hands were very important for the sharpshooter. So Bret couldn't use the sharpshooter because his hands were hurting. So he had to find a different way to pin these bigger guys. Uh-huh. So he has the match with Razor, starts with the hands hurting, he's able to pin Razor. He then faces Mr. Perfect, who Mr. Perfect was legitimately a fantastic athlete, guy yeah, named Kurt was. Henning. Uh, and they had had, Brett and Kurt had fantastic matches all the time. Well, a lot of people, from what I remember, is a lot of people look at Mr. Perfect and be like, he was probably the best technical wrestler of mm-hmm. all time. One of them, for sure, absolutely. And the cool thing was, uh, he could... Uh, selling was mentioned earlier about Sean. You can also say Brett was a fantastic seller. Mm-hmm. Mr. Perfect was great, and he could almost go a little comical with it, uh-huh. but it still worked. And he was, I mean, Perfect was, uh, Kurt Henning is his real name. Mm-hmm. He's a bigger guy. I mean, he was 6'2", 6'3", and a good 230, 240. I mean, he was just a bigger guy. And he would fly around with these bumps, and it would look a little comical. But he was a bad guy most of the time. Yep. His name was Mr. Perfect. So, of course, you're not going to like him. Uh, so the Brett, toothpick. Yes. Uh, he was known <laughs> the, for... Uh, the gum. It wasn't... Yeah, to, it was gum that he would have. He would spit his gum out <laughs> and smack it into the crowd, into the audience. And he'd get hit with his gum at some point. So, he has that match. And then the third match is with a huge behemoth of a man named Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, Bam if Bam. If you've ever seen the movie Major Pain... You know that biker guy that Major Payne beats up? That's Bam Bam Bigelow, a man who legitimately had fire tattooed on his head. <laughs> he, uh, he at one point, actually, though, Bam Bam was a pretty interesting guy. Uh, he saved a group of children from a burning trailer home this. and got, I think it was second-degree burns on a lot of his body. I mean, yeah. it was bad. Um, he was also a former bounty hunter. <laughs> He apparently, though, I think let his bounty hunter license expire, arrested someone, and then got charged with kidnapping, I believe. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Uh, so Bam Bam was a super interesting guy, but he was legitimately close to 300 pounds, mm-hmm. and Brett then had his third match with him. Uh, that led then to three matches in a row where he couldn't use the sharpshooter, and he just had to find different pinning combinations on each of them, and he did. 
And it's a master class in wrestling if you watch that entire night. It's a little slower, and so it doesn't quite age as well as uh, some matches do, but it's so great to watch. And it's one of those examples as to why I love Bret Hart. You never knew when a match was going to end. Mm-hmm. And the storytelling in each of those matches was slightly different. With uh, with Razor Ramon slash Scott Hall, his real name is Scott Hall, but the character was called Razor Ramon. He would oftentimes, uh, he was a bigger guy who could bully you. He was very athletic. Brett then had to be a little more sneaky there. Well, mm-hmm. then against Mr. Perfect, it's against it's these two great athletes trying to outdo each other. Yep. And then with Bam Bam Bigelow, he's trying to survive. It's a <laughs> giant with tattoos on his head. Right, right, right. <coughs> How is he going to make it through it? And he does. And so that's part of why I love pro wrestling and why I love Bret Hart. It was a storytelling masterclass every time I got to watch him. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So, okay, after kind of going into that, talking about our favorite wrestlers, I'm curious. So we're going to talk about our top three favorite matches Mm -hmm. of all time. Um, But before we do that, do you have some honorable mentions that you want to mention? Yeah. Uh, most of them are going to be HBK matches. Uh, the two WrestleMania with The Undertaker. Classic matches, for sure. Phenomenal matches. Yeah. Um, uh, HBK, Hell in the Cell. With, with the, Taker. With Taker. So, one Classic. thing, yeah, the Hell in a Cell is a cage, but it has a roof on top of it. Mm-hmm. Interesting thing about that Hell in a Cell that we were talking about, uh, it was here in St. Louis, actually. This first match actually happened. And it's a very St. Louis has such a great history with pro wrestling. There was a big territory here back in the day. It was it was it, was it did Luke well, Fez? but it, uh, I cannot recall the name of uh, Fez was a part of it for sure. I that don't know if he was the booker name. of it, um, but there was yeah a lot of big names came through here. Ric Flair won his first title here in St. Louis. Hulk Hogan made his first WWF at the time, WWF appearance here in St. Louis. The Rock won his first title here. Kane made his debut here. St. Louis has a great wrestling history. So that's kind of an interesting thing. You picked that one. Uh, I think it's also, too, you picked those two Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania matches. So one thing to know about The Undertaker is he never lost at WrestleMania until (coughs) I think it was 2004. 14, I believe, against Brock Lesnar. So he had won 21 straight WrestleMania matches. WrestleMania happens once a year. And the first one against Shawn Michaels is a classic. Pro- it's one of the best matches of all time. Oh, yeah, for sure. And Undertaker narrowly beats Shawn Michaels. Narrowly. Mm-hmm. The next year, then, Shawn puts his career on the line. So it becomes career versus streak. That mm-hmm. match is great, too, on its own. The stipulation is perfect. It was the drama of it. It is, yeah. And that's what makes, of course, like we say, wrestling is so great because mm-hmm. the stipulations with it can sometimes add that extra oomph to it. Right. So those are your three honorable mentions? Uh, there's some other ones in there that I can't think of off the top of my head that mm-hmm. I just like. No, those are all great. Uh, for me, I wanted to mention um, Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio at Halloween Havoc. Okay. Uh, that is... It, so Lucha Libre is a is the Mexican style of wrestling. I love Lucha Libre. It's very um, it can be cartoony, but it's it, it's high flying and it's some of the best acrobatics you'll ever see. This match is you know over it's almost twenty five years old at this point. Right. But if you watch it today, the wrestlers the things they do nowadays is incredible. They couldn't even think this stuff up nowadays that that Ray and Eddie were doing at that point. Uh, there's a, there's one point where Rey Mysterio is standing on the ropes, does a backflip, 
and he does a move called the DDT, which so it's a backflip catches that. Eddie Guerrero's neck and then drives him headfirst into the ground. Mm-hmm. It is incredible to watch. A lot of and it, what's interesting too, another interesting fact about this match. If you go back and watch, you can tell the fans aren't really caring. They don't care that much. They were there to see Hogan. They were here to see Savage. They're here to see Flair, these bigger names. They don't care about these two guys. And honestly, I feel like race could have played a part into it. They looked maybe down on these two Mexican wrestlers. It didn't care for them as much, which is sad. But, I mean, this is the late 90s, so that kind of crap was happening constantly. By the end of the match, people are losing their minds. They are standing. They're scre- they they didn't care about the match at the beginning, and by the end, they got them. And what's right. cool, too, is um, Rey Mysterio wore a mask all the time. Mm-hmm. That's part of his character. And a lot of Mexican wrestlers, they wear a mask as part of their character. If they're ever unmasked, it's always in a stipulation mask. They'll put their mask on the line. If they lose that mask, it's almost sacrilegious. It's so important to the character that they can change so much you laugh but it's no, true no I'm, I'm laughing because wcw screwed that up when they unmasked ray they and did juventud guerrero and psychosis all kinds of wrestlers oh. uh now he didn't lose his mask in this one he actually got to keep it he won it and kept it but throughout the match eddie guerrero who is one of my heroes in pro wrestling i'll talk about him more in a little bit uh he was trying to rip at the mask and tear it off and so Ray has to defend getting the mask torn off the entire match. It's that storytelling in pro wrestling of, oh, is he going to be able to tear off the mask? Oh, can he get to it? He right. doesn't quite right. get to it. But it's one of those fun aspects of pro wrestling that I love. And it's such a good match. Eddie and Ray had insane chemistry. I, I do have three more honorable mentions that are more recent. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, the North American Championship in NXT, that debut match with the ladder. That's a cursed match because all five of them, I believe, are five of the six people are out of the match except or out of wrestling. No, four of the six are out of NXT and WWE except for Ricochet and Adam Cole. Mm-hmm. So that was a ridiculous match. It was though. great. It was, it was fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Um, the unsanctioned match match with John Moxley and Kenny Omega early on. Okay, that was a really good match. Yeah, I agree. And the Pack or Pac. And Orange Cassidy match. That was fun. That was really good matches, too. Those are great ones, too. Um, another match that um, I do love ladder matches. For me, uh, ladder matches uh, are whenever it's typically a title is held up at the uh-huh, top. Uh-huh. Uh, ladder matches have also had um, custody of children uh, involved. Uh, Money in the Bank would be a ladder match, too. Money in the Bank, yeah. Uh, by the way, the custody for uh, Rey Mysterio's <laughs> son was on the line with Eddie Guerrero. Once again, they had a fantastic match for custody of... So to interrupt you just for one second, there yeah. was a video, I think it was Cultaholic did it, or maybe Parts Fun and Own, which is Adam Blompier's kind of offshoot, where they did uh, wrestling canon, like stuff that's supposed to be wrestling canon, Technically, in wrestling canon, Dominic is still Eddie Guerrero's son. Yes. Yes. <laughs> in storyline, that's a fact. Even though in real life, he is Rey Mysterio. Mysterio's son. No, in, in storyline, he is. Yeah. So. Uh, Continue. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, but I was going to say another great match is uh, people always talk about there's uh, a tables, ladders, and chairs match at WrestleMania oh, yeah. 17. That one's great. It's with. Uh, the Hardy Boys, who are brothers, 
legitimate brothers, the Dudley boys, who are not real brothers, but they say they're brothers, uh, and Edge and Christian, who were also saying they were brothers, but were not real brothers. They actually grew up uh, around each other in Canada and were best friends. Uh-huh. That's um, a phenomenal match. It's a phenomenal match. But my personal favorite is a few years earlier from that, uh, Edge and Christian wrestled Matt and Jeff Hardy in a ladder match. Oh, I remember that one too. And the reason why I like that match is all four of these guys weren't really well known at that point. They were more, oh, okay, they're starting off. We don't really know who they are. But by the end of the match, the crowd knew who they were mm. and respected them. Is that the one where uh, Edge beards Jeff Hardy? Uh, so the they've done that spot a few times, actually. Uh, so that spot's in there. They they do oh, they did all kinds of crazy bumps and stuff. Uh, but these were four guys who were at the beginning of their careers. And they wanted to get recognized. They wanted to be noticed. So they went all out. And it, by the end of that match, it's another one of those things where the crowd's kind of like, eh, I don't really know. And by the end, they were giving him a standing ovation. The crowd was, the way that match uh, got such a reaction, the next night, the WWF at the time had a show in another town, and the crowd gave them a standing ovation again. That's yeah. how crazy good that match is. So. Right. But okay, cool. So we've had some honorable mentions in there. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to get into our top threes. So Tim, okay. I'm going to have you lead off. What is your third favorite match? Uh, I don't know if I have an order. Okay. Uh, so I will say uh, the austin Bret Hart match with the blood, uh, the, with the double turn. I forget what pay-per-view it was it's on. It's WrestleMania 13. WrestleMania 13. And that's where Austin really becomes in his own and where he really kind of explodes is that match. Agreed. Uh, so that's one of my favorite matches. They uh, bladed with Austin, but him just being in that sharpshooter, blood pouring all over the place. So blading, by the way, folks, one thing about pro wrestling, uh, and it got some flack for this. I understand why. Uh, and I don't recommend people do this. Uh, but oftentimes wrestlers would say this match it needs a little extra. They would be talking before the match. We need to figure out how to make this stand out because we hate each other. We need this to look like we've really gone through a war together. Yep. So what they would do is one wrestler would typically uh, keep a razor blade in a pocket or in a, a tape to themselves somewhere or a referee would hand them this small blade. And they... It was literally just a razor blade. Yeah. And they would uh, get hit and go try to roll away from a camera or to where the audience couldn't see them, and they would kind of either stab themselves real quick in the forehead or do a quick cut on their forehead in order to add blood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and in this instance, you would let your um, uh, opponent do it to you. And Brett actually asked Steve Austin, hey, we need to get color, as it said. We need a, we need a blade job here. Um, are you okay doing it? Austin was a little nervous doing it because he was sort of new to the company and they didn't allow anyone to do this at that time. So Brett said, I'll take the heat for it. I'll do it to you. And Austin let him. And Brett literally gave him a quick little, and the way Austin described it, he said, barely felt it. And he bled like crazy. People get on to wrestlers for this. And I understand why, because you're maiming yourself. But Brett Hart talks about this in his book really well. And he says... If Jack Nicholson bled in a film, he'd get an Academy Award for it. Yeah. I kind of get that. It, if an actor loses 50 pounds, that's not healthy. 
Nope. They'll do it in a, f- a month. Christian Bale. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Love his rendition of Batman. It's incredible. He gained a ton of weight. You put your body on the line for your performance art, and we applaud actors for it. Pro wrestlers. And by the way, I don't think people should be blading all the time. But I think it's an important thing for us to note. We applaud people for being dedicated to their art that they would put something on the line like that. I mean, all I would have to do is Google Dusty Rhodes forehead. <laughs> that thing is so, like, shredded. It looks like a cheese grater. Yeah, it does. It looks really bad. Some guys had a forehead that was really bad. Also, sometimes, and sorry, folks, if you're eating right now, this might be, <laughs> you might get a little queasy, but if you bladed enough on your forehead, it would then lead to bleeding easier. So all you would have to do is just gently touch someone's forehead. Just mm. It would be a, just like that. And they would start bleeding again. It was that yeah. easy. You're starting to see that like with Cody nowadays. <laughs> oh, right. And there's also bleeding the hard way where you hit someone hard enough or in the right way where they won't bleed. Agreed. It yeah. turns out your forehead uh, bleeds a lot. <laughs> Just a bit. It's actually right above the uh, eyebrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see like UFC fighters do that a lot. They'll, they'll get a cut. Yeah, a cut right there. But what they try to do is they put Vaseline in those areas where it typically bleed more, so that way it protects uh, from that. So and I do believe UFC and even boxers, when they do get a cut above their eye, they put super glue on them. They, or the yeah. medical equivalent of super glue, basically. Yeah, they won't. If it's a gusher, sorry, folks, that's. You know, <laughs> if it's really bad, they might stop it and try to see if they can stop the bleeding. Uh, but they'll let it go for until uh, the end of the round. But if it's just so bad, they're like, yeah, it's not going to. They'll call a fight. Yeah, they'll call a fight for it. So, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. So that's a great call uh, for number three. By the way, we might have some overlap here. We didn't talk about this ahead of time, nope. but I think that's fine. <laughs> uh, my number three is Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar uh, for the WWE title. And um, folks, he, I talked about Eddie Guerrero earlier. I got to talk about him a little bit more. <laughs> Eddie was incredible. He was really good. He was such a good performer. I mean, in-ring stuff, the things he did, yeah, that was incredible. But Eddie Guerrero as a performer was so good because he could be the worst bad guy and the best good guy mm-hmm. within a matter of minutes sometimes. And w- a great example for me is I, I always remember watching Eddie Guerrero, and he was the first bad guy where I said, oh, I hate this guy. I have to keep watching. <laughs> That's the sign someone's really good at their job. Yep. He... um. Eddie Guerrero, though, sadly had some problems when he was younger, um, and they did catch up with him later, which is tragic. He had a drug problem. He had a drinking problem, and it got to the point where it was so bad he lost his job, nearly lost his family. He nearly lost his life, even. Mm-hmm. And he came. He comes back, and he's better than ever. He has more life in his matches. He's just got more charisma. He becomes Latino Heat, which was like the nickname he pretty much walked around with. He was just the coolest guy at all times. And he came out, and he wasn't quite able to make it to that WWF title, or WWE title, I should say. Sorry, that's what it was at that point. And, you know, it's... it's kind of crazy. He's going up against Brock Lesnar, this chosen one who's going to be the top guy. Mm-hmm. And Brock was about to leave the company at this point. He's kind of nearing the end of his, his run. 
and he's facing Eddie Guerrero. And the whole build-up to this match, and by the way, pro wrestling is oftentimes the build-up is the best part. Mm-hmm. And in this one, the build-up was Brock Lesnar saying, you're an addict, Eddie. You're an addict. You don't deserve this title. You right. don't deserve everything that comes with this. And Eddie's response was amazing. It was heartfelt. He says, you're right. I am an addict. He acknowledges every part of his problem that he has. And basically saying, I'm focusing it now on wrestling. I'm focusing it on my career. I'm focusing on the right things. The match is incredible. They're going back and forth. It's really the story of, by the way, the size difference between these two is incredible. Brock is 6'5", you know, 280, jacked, uh, just this massive guy. Eddie Guerrero is about they said, I think, 5'9", but he was more like 5'7", 5'6". He's a little shorter. He was ripped, but he's not that big. So it's this David versus Goliath match the entire way. Right. The match is going. It's fantastic. Eddie gets these occasional upper hands uh, along the way. And then finally, uh, there's a little bit of interference in the match. Eddie's able to get the upper hand, and his, last, his finishing move is called the Frog Splash, where he jumps off the top rope and just splashes onto the guy. And you, he's about to climb the top rope, and you hear the crowd just going nuts. And the commentary is perfect with it. He's the commentators literally saying, "Come on, Eddie!" And it's you at home are saying the same dang thing because you're so excited for Eddie. He hits it. You hear the one, the two, the three. The crowd erupts, and it's one of those peaks that you have as a fan, where you stick with someone and you watch this person seven years earlier, mm. eight years earlier, and you hate them so much. <laughs> And then you <laughs> learn to love them. They become like a friend in a weird way because they've been in your house once a week for eight years. And you right. grow and you see their falls. You see them do well. And then you see them triumph. Now, the sad thing, of course, kind of have to have a sad part to it, is the tragedy that happens with Eddie Guerrero. In November, mm. uh, a couple years later, he ends up passing away from a heart attack. Yeah, Probably part of it was due to all the drugs that he had done in the past. He also definitely used some steroids. That might have hurt him, too. And what's interesting, Eddie used to have this thing that he would do in a match where he would always kind of cheat to win. It was his whole (laughs) thing of lie, cheat, and steal, and you loved him for it. It was kind of like catching your friend cheating in a a board game. You're like, what are you doing? And he just smiles. That was Eddie Guerrero. So what he would do is he would get a chair while the referee was distracted and slam it on the ground pretending like it had hit him and then he would throw at his opponent the chair and the opponent would catch the chair and just look and be like wait what's happening and eddie would fall down and pretend like he had just been hit with a chair (laughs) in his last match he did that this uh mr anderson was the guy he wrestled kennedy sorry mr kennedy kennedy uh thank you for doing it twice (laughs) it's perfect (laughs) they he he catches it and eddie then gets the win by dq and the last image we have of Eddie Guerrero on TV is just him with a little smirk and a smile like, I got away with it. <laughs> and then a couple days later, Eddie Guerrero passes. Uh, yeah, I remember that. It's so heartbreaking because he had gotten on the right path. He had, he had found religion, and religion had given him a purpose. Mm-hmm. It had given him back his family. It had given him back his life. Mm-hmm. It gave him back his career, too. But I think those other things meant a little bit more to Eddie. So... I always love that match, and every time I hear, come on, Eddie, in my head, I'm like, yeah, that was me saying that, too. Nice. This guy that I just hated right. for the longest time. No, that's awesome. Yeah. 
really incredible. And it's storytelling in pro wrestling. It's beautiful. Long term storytelling. This, uh, I guess, my number two, uh, WrestleMania 18, Hollywood Hogan versus The Rock. That's a great one. Only because of the crowd. Yep. Oh my gosh. The the turn, uh, people because Hollywood Hulk Hogan or Hulk Hogan was the guy Mm -hmm. in the 80s and early 90s was the guy versus The Rock who was the guy at that time. Mm -hmm. And the crowd just goes bananas throughout that entire match. Mm -hmm. And they start chanting Hogan and then he becomes Hulk Hogan again instead of Hollywood. Yeah, and what's interesting too is like in oh. 95, I believe, or it was 96. I think it was 96, Four. sorry. Uh, when Hogan turned heel, no, 96. 96, I thought when yeah. he, you were talking about when he goes to WCW. Yeah, he went to WCW, and then he becomes a bad guy in 96. Yep. He went from say your prayers to eat your vitamins to tell these fans they can stick it. Yep. It was the biggest thing in pro wrestling at that point. It made WCW. It, it made it up on, their, on the level with WWE. And the whole the whole NWO, uh, the original three, mm-hmm. Hogan, Nash, Hall. Yeah. It's it's a fantastic – it's long-term storytelling with pro wrestling. You stick with a guy who had been that ultimate good guy, the uh, white knight of pro wrestling. Uh, superhero. Yeah. He goes bad and turns against the crowd. Mm-hmm. And then he stays that way for a long time. WCW got really bad at the end, so you can't really keep up with all the good and bad turns towards the end. So we disregard that. Then he goes back to WWE. In 2002, he finally turns good in front of a hot crowd. Hot. Oh, my God. Everyone's on their feet that entire match. It's crazy. You know what I love, though, about that match? Two things. One, if you watch, and I've heard this mentioned before about it, and it's a fact. If you watch that match without sound, it's still so exciting because of mm-hmm. the crowd's reaction to everything. It's not a Matt Classic. No. Uh, there's no new crazy sort of athleticism that you see with it, but it's still brilliantly done because the crowd is, in, is so enthralled. So with Hogan, and this may be controversial, not a great technical res- wrestler. It's not controversial at all. It's a fact. To a degree, when he went to New Japan, he was actually a really good technical wrestler. He just knew he didn't need to be. Um, I would say he was proficient. Proficient. I mean, when you get to WWF and WCW, he has three moves, the leg drop uh, and hulking up, and I don't even remember the third one. And, oh, the big boot. Yeah. To the lead into the – that's a Hogan match. But he also didn't need to do much because the crowd was just so behind him. Agreed. And so you watch this match, and it's The Rock doing The Rock stuff, but Hogan bringing back Hulkamania – Oh, God. Even watching it now still gives me chills. It's fantastic. I will say I don't like Hulk Hogan as a person. No, he's I do a piece of crap. He's a terrible human being. As a performer, he's he's great at that. Another thing I do love about that, what happened because of that match, The Rock went in as a good guy. Mm-hmm. And he's he left as a, quote, good guy. But Toronto, where the match took place, turned against The Rock so much that the next time he came into Toronto, he ripped them apart. <laughs> Some of the highlights on the mic, if you look it up on, you can probably find it on YouTube. It's fantastic what he says to Toronto. At the beginning, he's like, oh, you, you don't want to boo The Rock. No, 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 no. You don't want to boo The Rock. Do, do you want to boo me? And the crowd's just going, yeah. I'm like, 
all right, fine. We're here in Toronto, and the crowd goes, yeah. He goes, oh, hooray. He said Toronto. Yay, Toronto. That's where we live. We live in Toronto. Shut up. The, I love The Rock so much. And this, the, I, uh, that was probably the second best part. The number one part is he just has, he would always have a rhyme in there. Mm-hmm. The Rock understood music in a way. Like, he would always speak with this natural rhythm to it. And, in fact, he, uh, in future promos, would use uh, an acoustic guitar and sing a song, <laughs> most famously about Sacramento. <laughs> yep. Look that one up. It's hysterical. The Rock Insulting Sacramento is, uh-huh. is great. Uh, but what he said in Toronto, though, was um, the line was, stronger than a buck, the best thing to hit Toronto because the Maple Leafs suck. <laughs> And the crowd, it's Canada. They love their hockey. Yeah. They lost their mind on mm. that. It's just brilliant mic work at that point. So that is a fantastic choice. Thank you. Yeah. What's my, your number two? So my second favorite, it's, it's very recent. And it's another one of those instances of great storytelling on pro wrestling. Uh, it is Bailey and Sasha Banks at NXT Brooklyn the first time. Yeah. Uh, so women's wrestling, it's so good. Uh, women's wrestling for the longest time, A, they, the women were not really trained up. The women that were chosen for the WWF were typically not wrestlers. They were valets, uh, they were models, um, and they really weren't trained up to be top flight wrestlers. It started to shift slowly but surely with you know Trish Stratus and Lita getting more mm-hmm. opportunities, but it still really didn't actually happen for over a decade. Yep. It took a long time for women to really get this opportunity in pro wrestling. Well, in the WWF, because TNA, I think, when they showed up in the scene, really, I mean, they're so crappy, let's be honest. Uh, TNA, by the way, is another wrestling promotion. They've been, they have a new name now because TNA is not the best name for a pro wrestling. No, it's promotion. called Impact now. But they were actually, I think, ahead of the curve with women wrestling than the WWF they, at the time. Yeah, they, they gave women longer matches and better opportunities. And they also recognized talent. A woman like Gail Kim, yep. she is a fantastic wrestler, and it's a shame she has never gotten. The plat she never did get that platform in the WWE. I think she's very happy in Impact now, and I'm very happy that I think she she's is. retired now. Uh, I think she works backstage now uh, as a producer there, which great. That's awesome. Um, but the women in WWF WWE were not given that time. But fast forward several years, and several women start breaking through. This is like 2015. Yeah, around that. And uh, four women in particular really deserve a lot of the credit. Um, I mean. There's a lot of people that deserve a lot of credit, but four I'll single out. Becky Lynch, who is one of the biggest names in pro wrestling now, uh, she went on to great fame. Uh, Charlotte, who is Ric Flair's daughter. Woo. Uh, yeah, woo. She is a phenomenal athlete. Yeah. Uh, kind of gets a little too much spotlight sometimes, but she's still so good that it's totally justifiable for the most part. Yeah. But she's fantastic. Uh, but then these two girls um, are... Probably my two personal favorites. Uh, Sasha Banks, I would equate her to being just one of the best natural wrestlers out in the world. Um, You give her time with any wrestler, and she always puts on a good match. The way she sells, too. Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. And also, I will say, the way Sasha Banks is not the biggest girl on earth. She looks slight in frame, uh, a little shorter, but, man, she can be vicious. You Mm. believe that she could kill you. Because she just has that aura about her. If you've ever watched Mandalorian, she's on that. 
Uh, I don't know her character's name, uh, but she's really good in The Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, she goes by Mercedes, her actual name. Her, yeah, her real name is Mercedes. Um, and sh- she is, I would say, when it comes to the in, in-ring portion of pro wrestling, she is one of the best in the world right now. She really mm-hmm. is so good. Um, and then there was Bailey. Bailey was, in the beginning, probably booked the, the one to lose the most. She was an underdog. Uh, her character at this point was just... Uh, I love pro wrestling. I love pro wrestling, <laughs> and I am that uh, quirky kid at school that just loves it and wants to hug everyone. She was a hugger. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And at this point, Sasha Banks had worked her way up into NXT, which was, quote, the developmental uh, promotion of WWE. It's really its own promotion now, and it's, it's really good. Um, there's more an emphasis on in-ring work. Uh, in NXT. Sasha is the women's champion at that point. And the women are becoming the main event. That had never happened in WWE. People were wanting to just watch the women at this point. Yep. That's how far it progressed, which earlier it was bra and panty matches in, in the early 2000s. Now uh, we're to the point where they are main eventing. Mm-hmm. And Sasha was brutal with Bailey. She would say, Bailey, you're a loser. Mm-hmm. You are you're dreaming of this. You're never going to reach this title. Once again, great storytelling. You're invested in this bully who's going after that underdog. We can all relate to being that underdog in some way. Yep. Well, at least, you know what? Most of us can. Because there's some people out there. You're the bully. You suck. I hope your Christmases are not good. That's me trying to be mean. Whoa, because Caleb. I know. Whoa. I love Christmas. So, I mean, for me, that's a real put down. I know. I know. The match takes... Pl- now, um... The match is great. One thing to also note coming into it, um, Dusty Rhodes was one of the trainers at uh, NXT, this developmental program, and he had passed away very recently from this. Uh, Dusty was known for wearing polka dots in the WWF. Uh, It's kind of a silly thing, but uh, Bailey decided to wear, uh, she had legitimately broken her arm uh, not too recently, uh, rather recently, I should say, uh, before the match. And uh, she had had to wrap her arm, but she had like a wrap around her arm that had uh, the polka dots on it. Just in tribute of Dusty. Yeah. It's one of those great things. The American dream. Yes. Love the American dream, baby. Hard times. <laughs> Folks, if you want great promos, look up Dusty Rhodes on Dusty the microphone. Rhodes, yep. He was fantastic. Um, the match is a killer. They go back and forth. Uh, Bailey. Uh, Bailey's selling her hand because it had been legitimately broken, and that's one thing about pro wrestlers. If they have a legitimate injury, they'll oftentimes put that same body part on the line because the crowd is pretty educated, especially when it comes to these things. We all know. There's the internet. We can all know, oh, this person has an injury. If you pay attention to baseball, you know, oh, this player's hurt. I hear they're on the injured list. You can do the same thing with pro wrestling. Legitimately find that out. Mm Mm-hmm. At one point, Sasha has this, uh, it's her finishing hold called the bank statement. It's where she's got both of her hands wrapped around the chin of a opponent that's laying prone on their stomach. And she's wrenching back on it. And what she does then with one of her legs is she starts stomping on that broken hand uh-huh. over and over. You literally hear the crowd gasp. <laughs> They're going, no. Yep. Bailey then is able to get to the rope, but her hand is just wrecked. She fights back then with one hand. Then she starts using the broken hand. She's going all out. She finally hits her finishing hold. The crowd originally was 50-50. They wanted, they loved Sasha. They loved Bailey. 
They were chanting for both in the match. Yep. You hear the one, two, three, crowd goes nuts. There was a behind-the-scenes video of it. And Seth Rollins, who's a wrestler in the WWE, he's now married, er, in a relationship. I think he's married to Becky Lynch. They, I don't know they have they a child married. together. They're together. Yeah. I wish the many years of happiness, they seem really <laughs> great together. I genuinely mean that. There's a video, and he's sitting front row crying. The match literally showed the growth of women's wrestling. Yep. From being in the back, you get two minutes, or your match is sometimes canceled at WrestleMania, which yep. is literally like canceling the Super Bowl for you. You're mm -hmm. literally being told, yep, you're going to be at the Super Bowl. Nope, not anymore. You're not allowed. And now they're the main event. Mm -hmm. There was a match that was after them, and it was a nice match, but sorry. That stole the show. It was incredible because of that growth you get to see. And by the end of it, you kind of still love them both somehow. And they, they had another great match after that with uh, yeah, their Iron Brooklyn Woman match. Brooklyn, too. The Iron Woman match, which was oh. uh, the next pay-per-view that they had. Uh, Sasha, actually, uh, there was this NXT super fan, this girl who would sit front row. And she was a big Bailey fan. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, she had uh, uh, some some sort of Bailey um, memorabilia no, on. I think Bailey gave it to her, right? Yeah, she gave her something. And then Sasha rips it off and broke it in half. And this child is crying <laughs> in the front row. Literally, pro wrestling is kind of like I would equate it to Krampus sometimes with, sometimes. Ki with kids. If you don't know what yep. Krampus is. Uh, Krampus is, it's a Christmas thing. Uh, in Germany, Krampus is the uh, kind of helper of Santa, and he scares children to being good, because if you're not good, he might take your presents. Uh, so sometimes in pro, and parents will like push their children towards Krampus, mm -hmm. which is, I really hope I get to see Krampus when we go. <laughs> uh, but uh, pro wrestlers love to be mean to kids. Because mm -hmm. you'll see these kids cry, but then the good guy comes out and saves the day, and it can kind of make the kids, you know, day in a way. But whenever I see that, you'll always see the parents just like, okay, please let the good guy come, because my child is about to just go through all kinds of therapy right now. <laughs> <laughs> good times. So that's my number two. Number two. So I'm going through a list. I have like three number ones. Dude. I know. And they're all HBK related. Okay. Um. So, I, I, I'm trying to decide which one I like the most. Well, how about you go ahead and give them all? Yeah, I'm going to give them all, and I may finish with the one that I like the most. Okay. Um, Razor, HBK. Ladder match. Ladder match. Which one, though? The first one. I like the second more. The first one because uh, that was the one with the title, right? The inter They both had the Intercontinental title in the ladder match. Yeah. The first one was uh, Shawn Michaels got suspended for using steroids. To this day, he's like, I didn't do steroids, which I kind of believe him. It might have been a false positive, mm -hmm. but he got suspended for it. So then Razor wins the Intercontinental title. They then have a match to see who's the real Intercontinental champion. Yep, there's that. Uh, I'm going to go HBK, Ric Flair, WrestleMania. That's a classic. The, the, that that matches. That's so all storytelling, too. That is. Sean is called Mr. WrestleMania. He always put on these great matches at WrestleMania. And Ric Flair put, he was forced to, Retire. in storyline, put his career on the line every match he had. And the next match he lost would be the end of his career. That was the storyline. And it all built up to WrestleMania, Sean versus Rick. Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell the ending? Uh, it was just so Sean has a uh, finisher move called the super kick or sweet chin music. 
and he's about to hit Rick, and Rick is just like, just do it. And H.B. Curry is like, I'm so sorry. I love you. And then hits it. Pow. But part of what makes that such a big deal, uh, Sean idolized Rick growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick was, you know, Sean before there was Sean. Arrogant, great at being a bad guy, awesome seller, always had great matches. Yep. And the way they described it was Sean was going to put Rick down. He was going to put down old Yeller. Yep. And at the end, it does kind of feel, because, you know, Rick's taking a beating this whole match. And then at the very end, Rick's trying to get up, and he's got his hands up. And he's like, come on. Just do it. Come on. <laughs> and then, Sean, that's when he says, I'm sorry. I love you. And bam, puts that kick on. And you can see Rick. Rick's a bit of a crier. It's okay. We've got our emotions. And they both were crying at yeah. the end of the match. Rick's crying, though, laying there for the one, two, three, because that was supposed to be the end of it. Newsflash, he goes to what's now called Impact Wrestling and has some more matches there and a few other places. He needed the money. I don't yeah, fault him for it. So the top one I'm going to go with is Sean's return, SummerSlam, HBK versus Triple H, that street fight match. That's a great one. Oh, my gosh. It was the return of my guy. Okay. Uh, Sean Michaels, and he didn't lose a step. No. He, he had retired early in 98 because he had a casket match with The Undertaker, bounced off a part of, I think, the outside. Yeah, so he, he hit the corner of it. He basically flew head over heels out of the ring and then hit the casket, but he his back hit the corner of it, uh-huh. which did something to his back that looked like it ended his career. Pretty much. I mean, he wrestled a little bit after there, and this is where Sean gets into the painkillers and really gets more into drugs. And he was, he retired, um, what was that, WrestleMania with Sean Austin? Uh, Sean and Austin, 14. Yep. WrestleMania 14. Yep. And he retires, and this was 98. And so he kind of does stuff between 98 to 2002. Yeah, he's an on-screen character, just kind of used to make matches with other people. He was a Raw GM for a little bit. Um and it was also the end of DX, his run with DX and uh, Triple H, and that's when Triple H really gets his own with DX. So now you get the return of Sean being like, you've trashed me, we were best friends, you get that storytelling, like, we can't do this in a sanctioned match, it's got to be a street fight. One interesting thing, too, they did with it, they tie, pro wrestling does a great job with this when they'll, sometimes when they can blur the lines between reality and fiction, because they decided to tie in like Eddie Guerrero earlier with Brock Lesnar, they tied in drug uh, Sean's drug issues. Yep. And there was a, a story that's been told plenty of times uh, within the WWE legitimately Sean Michaels drug problem got so bad that he was backstage and couldn't perform to be an on-screen character. He was pilled up so much. Yep. And other people talked about Chris Jericho talked in his book about how he would see Sean drugged up backstage and just incoherent. And it was just sad. People were worried that Sean was going to die from drugs. Yep. And it looked like he might. And Triple H brought that up of, I used to carry you around. Yep. I used to make sure that you woke up so you could make it to the ring. And that, that stuff really happened. Triple H did do that stuff for mm-hmm. Sean. Mm-hmm. And so it, it gave the bad guy Triple H, who had turned on Sean, yep, and became the guy. Yeah, uh, they switched spots. I mean, HBK was the guy in the mid to late nineties, 
uh, one of the top guys in the WWF. I think he even had the title until he gave it up to Steve Austin. Yeah, and one thing to remember, too, I mean, Sean had a really bad reputation. So they oh, were yeah. tying that into Sean has he had held numerous titles. And one thing that's important to do is you lose to the person you give the title to so that they can be legitimized and help keep that this company going. It's very important to do that. Sean didn't lose titles to people. He would always say, oh, I've, I've got an injury. I, I can't. I've lost my smile. I can't wrestle anymore. Yep. All of these Or excuses. just straight up, I'm not going to drop the title to this person. Yep. And these things would happen, and it would hurt a lot of other people's careers. Mm-hmm. That was part of the reason why Brett and Sean had problems. Which I think that's the same title uh, was that Survivor Series of 97 uh, where he screws Brett. Well, and I think he carries that for a year, and he loses to Steve Austin. So I think that's how that timeline goes. It's about six months, because uh, Survivor is Series is November, and then yeah, I believe yeah, it was yeah. early April, so it's four or five months. Uh, the one thing I would tell people to look up, if you want, is if you want to see the lines blurred with reality in pro wrestling, look up the Montreal Screwjob. Yep. Bret Hart, my personal favorite wrestler, um, and Shawn Michaels, Tim's personal favorite wrestler, they, like we said, hated each other. Yep. And, you know, I'll just say this. It seems like they've been able to work past it now, which is great to see. Um, but basically, Brett had signed uh, the year before. He had signed a 20-year <laughs> yeah. contract yeah, 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 yeah. with the WWF. And Vince McMahon came to Brett less than a year after signing that contract and said, I can't pay it anymore. You're going to have to go to this other company, WCW, try to get whatever money you can out of them. Mm-hmm. So Brett's like, well, great. I'm the WWF champion right now. What do you want to do with that? I want you to lose the belt to Shawn Michaels. So Brett goes, okay, fine. And he says to Shawn, hey, you know, I don't mind losing the title to you. I know we've had our problems. Let's just work this out. Shawn then said, and now Shawn's a different person now, and I think he regrets saying this, but he said, well, that's nice. But if the roles were reversed, I wouldn't lose the title to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of wrestlers have said, if you had said that in the old school days, they might have stabbed you. <laughs> it's just not the right way to do business. So Brett, in his contract, had something where he said, the last 30 days of my time within the WWF, I get to have control over my creative. So Brett said, listen, I'm willing to lose the title to The Undertaker again. Uh, not The Undertaker. I'll lose the title to Steve Austin. I will lose it to Ken Shamrock, who is a legitimate killer. <laughs> that man is a savage. Uh, yep. Awesome. He's fought in the UFC. Um, he said, I will lose to anyone but Shawn Michaels. I'm sorry, but he's not willing to work with me. I'm not willing to work with him. Vince McMahon didn't care and wanted him to lose the belt to Shawn. Mm-hmm. They couldn't come to an agreement. So at the at the pay-per-view, basically, Brett said, listen, we'll just have this ended in a disqualification. I will give you the title and just leave and forfeit it. And Vince said, okay, well, the match happens, and it's a great match. It is a really good match. fantastic match, and it could have been the best match. Those two had had several great matches throughout the years. The Iron Man match. And then Survivor Series, uh, I believe it's 92, they had a great match together there. They had chemistry in part because they didn't like each other. That really (laughs) helps. When you're play fighting, it can make a fight look very real. Right. Um, The match was great. And Brett had come up with this finish to where Sean, this arrogant bad guy, puts Brett's finishing move on him. Brett would then reverse it. It would then lead to this 
um, uh, run-in with people coming in, match-ins and a disqualification. Oh, big schmoz. Well, they're in Montreal, remind you. Brett is from Canada. So Sean puts that finishing hold on. Vince McMahon is standing ringside. That's a big thing. Vince McMahon never did that. He stands ringside and says, ring the bell. This is legitimately happening. This is now where storyline is gone. Reality's taken place. Yup. They say Bret Hart submitted to his own finisher. Sean gets the belt. And here's the thing. There was only a few people that knew about this. Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and Earl Hebner, the referee, and maybe one other person. There was a, I, I want to say it was Jim Cornette, or some of the producers in the back. Here's the thing. Him. About eight people have taken credit for coming up with the Montreal screw job. Cornette, Pritchard. Vince Russo, Pritchard, uh, Bret Hart's like everyone claims to do it. So even my dad must have known. I don't care at this point. Right. So it's hard to say, but we know for sure a few people did. Um, it was a turning point in wrestling. It was because now people were really seeing behind the curtain even more. There were other instances that it happened, but this time... We were seeing the real reality. I'm not going to lie. For me as a Bret Hart fan, it's tragic. Mm -hmm. Because that took the professional soul out of Bret Hart. He it would really go to did. WCW where they didn't use him. They, they have now the hottest thing in pro wrestling. This guy didn't lose the title. Everyone sees it. He didn't lose it, actually, because we can all see he didn't tap or say I quit. And they didn't capitalize on it at all. Not at all. And then... A year and a half later, his brother dies in the ring. Mm -hmm. Who his younger brother Owen Owen Hart was probably is considered one of the best guys in pro, a really good guy overall, and was just doing this because it made good money and could provide for his family. He was killed in a stunt where he was rappelling down from the ceiling and was gonna do like some tomfoolery and fall because he was kind of doing a comedy character, but he ended up falling sixty feet, breaking his neck and dying. In the WWF. Mm -hmm. Brett blamed himself because he's like, you know, if I was still in the WWF, I could have gotten him out of that. Mm -hmm. Then his brother dies. There's infighting with his family. M Montreal in 97, in my opinion, doesn't just break. I'm not trying to. It, it's I'm not trying to be poetic. It broke Brett Hart's heart. It really did. And then it broke so much of his life. Mm -hmm. Remember, there's 13 siblings. After Montreal... Yeah, they they fought a lot before, but then they fought even more afterwards. Yeah, because a lot of the hearts still stayed with the WWF, and Brett leaves, um, and it changed. It really changed. It broke kayfabe, which you can explain kayfabe. Kayfabe is consider it uh, the easiest way to put it is in storyline. Mm -hmm. That's what kayfabe is. Uh, if you know Tim and I are two wrestlers, and Tim's the good guy and I'm the bad guy, and we see s it, this would have happened more like in the, you know early 90s and mid 90s is when the last of quote kayfabing was you had to be yep. in character you would see a fan walk by and we'd go kayfabe and then we'd have to pretend to argue because we saw uh, a fan around we wanted, wanted to make sure we showed the audience that we were still in character because you protected the business and showed that it was real and so you get the really i think a huge breaking of kayfabe and the vince mcmahon character the whole springing of the Attitude Era. And there's been a hundred different people say, well, it was Austin and King of the Ring, and it was Austin and the Bret Hart match, or blah, blah, blah. But I really think it's around that Survivor yeah. Series. With because the breaking of kayfabe, the whole, now you're seeing actual 
bad people. Mm-hmm. Vince McMahon, he becomes Mr. McMahon in that whole attitude era of the WWF. But yeah. Uh, it, that's why I like that SummerSlam 2002 match with HBK and Triple H because it's the return of a different Shawn Michaels. Yeah. Uh, him professing his faith, like, I'm a changed person. I regret the things that I did do. It's kind of almost, you know, I regret the Survivor Series stuff and that screw job and being a better person. Um, and going against Triple H, who was his best friend, and that whole like dynamic with DX and all, yeah, it's just beautiful storytelling. And the fact that they couldn't do it in a normal match, it had to be a street fight, had to have weapons. It's one of my favorite matches. It's it's fantastic and so surprising because the guy took so much time off. Normally when someone takes a lot of time off, you're like, ah, they'll have what's called ring rust. You're not quite up you're not quite ready. Sean probably had a little bit of time maybe in a ring just to like get warmed up and make sure he could still take a bump, but not that he never had a match in front of people. And the and the backstory the backstory of that match and Sean has said this, that was gonna be it. Yeah. It was gonna be one and done. And it was a kind of a guinea pig of going, can I still do this? Am I going to be the Shawn Michaels of old? And he does that match and then realized, oh, I feel great. Yeah. I haven't lost a step. So you get the resurgence of Shawn Michaels coming back to pro wrestling and being Mr. WrestleMania. Yeah, and he did go on to do a lot of really good things after that. I enjoy the second act of Shawn. Way more. Yeah. Because I really do, too. Because... Now, I didn't believe that he was a decent person for a long time. Mm-hmm. I still had a lot of bitterness towards him because oh, yeah, of what obviously. he did to Brett. Obviously. Um, I do think, though, he had turned around for a while. It took a while to prove that to a fair amount of us. I will say, Sean, he, he always stayed good. There was one feud where he went bad for just one feud. Uh, it was with Hulk Hogan. And oh, yeah. he did some of his best mic work as that bad guy for just a little bit. There's the second one. That you would appreciate and also hate. Uh, is in his second coming, he goes to Montreal. So that's with the Hulk Hogan feud. Was it the Hulk Hogan feud? Yeah, because he was going to be facing Hogan at SummerSlam. And what he does is he comes back to Canada and he's in Montreal for the first time since the screw job. And the first thing he says on the mic with just booze everywhere, he says, Who's your daddy, Montreal? <laughs> When he plays Brett's music, brilliant. Oh, I, because I, I thought my. there was a rumor they were trying to put out that Brett was returning, uh-huh. and Brett Hart. One big thing with wrestling can be the entrance music. With Stone Cold Steve Austin, you hear broken glass. You know someone's about to. There's about to be a fight. This is great. With The Rock, if you, you hear the words, if you smell what The Rock is cooking. Uh-huh. All right, here we go. We're about to be electrified with The Rock. With Bret Hart, it was this guitar riff. This. You heard that, and it was like, oh, yes, this is Brett's time. That guitar riff hit, and he's in Montreal. The rumor was he might be coming back. Everyone loses it. Loses their minds. He's he is At one point, he was as big a deal in Canada as Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. Let that sit in. Out, and he's the music's playing. And he just doesn't come out. And Sean then starts going, oh, what's happening? <laughs> and the line he says is, got your hopes up just a little bit, didn't I? It was brilliant. And then he does it again. He and does it a second time. Uh, they did Hogan's music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, with Hogan's music. Because <laughs> he was facing Hogan. And Hogan's big in Canada, so, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, 
segue now into my number one. It's one that's already been mentioned, but Bret Hart, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Mm. WrestleMania 13. Here's why I love this match. It is the personification of storytelling in pro wrestling at its best. Mm -hmm. For years, when Bret Hart was wrestling as a singles wrestler, because for a while he was a tag wrestler, but became a singles wrestler, he was always a good guy. He was the white knight of pro wrestling, literally doing the good thing no matter what. Mm-hmm. For example, he had a feud with his brother, Owen. Owen was the younger brother. He was trying to upstage. He always thought his older brother was trying to upstage him. And Brett said, I don't want to fight my brother. I don't want to have this fight within my family. Owen then just goads him long enough to where they have a classic match. But Brett still would do the right thing. He was continuously trying to do the right thing. He goes away for a little while after losing the title at WrestleMania 12, comes back about six months later, and the world of wrestling, kind of like the rest of the world, was kind of changing at that point. People Mm -hmm. wanted anti-heroes. They didn't want the white knight. They didn't want the white hat in the the Western. They wanted the black hat. They wanted the anti-hero. And here comes Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is a loudmouth, you know, cursing, beer drinking, redneck. Uh-huh. And he is attacking everyone. They call him a rattlesnake for a reason. He'll strike everyone at any point. So the crowd is starting to change. They're not cheering Bret Hart as the White Knight anymore in America, because that's where, you know, WWF typically is for the most part, America. They're cheering this guy, Austin. So they've had several matches before, and it all builds up to WrestleMania 13, where they decide, okay, Bret. We need to do a quick little turn here. We need to turn you to a bad guy because we really think this Austin guy needs to be a good guy. Brett agrees. Yep, let's do it. So they have a match. And it's not a match that can end in a pinfall. It's a match that has to end in submission. Yep. It has to end by the other person saying, I quit. So that means they can brawl wherever they want. And they're in one of the best wrestling cities in America, Chicago, uh, Rosemont Horizon, Mm -hmm. the building. I think it's got a different name now, but I think it's Allstate, possibly. But the match is a classic, and and Austin talks about this. He'll always say Chicago's one of the best buildings to wrestle in because the crowd is hot, and that building, the, the ceiling's a little lower. So the sound reverberates, and it gets even louder in there. So they decide... They're going to brawl all over the ring, all over the arena. Sorry. They go into the crowd. Austin gets thrown down some stairs. They go into the barricade. They use the ring bell. Uh, They use cords to choke each other with. They use chairs. Everything. Everything is thrown in this match. And at one point, Brett throws Austin into the rails. And Austin goes flying in there, and it looks like he's hit his head. Remember earlier when we talked about blading? Yep. Well, this is where we talk about, this is where Brett does the blade. He comes over, puts the little nick into Austin's head, and then throws some punches. This was right by where Vince McMahon, (laughs) Jerry Lawler, and Jim Ross, these are all the broadcasters for the show that night. They're sitting right by it. And whenever Brett throws those fake punches, his, Brett's punches were really good because they looked like they hit. But he was able to make it not hurt because he would either stop it right before or, you know, just barely touch a person. Mm-hmm. So he's just barely touching Austin with those punches where the blood was coming out. 
and it flew over and hit the papers that J- uh, Jerry Lawler had. And J- uh, Jerry Lawler said, I still have those papers that are covered in Austin's blood because this match is so memorable, really. Yep. Austin starts bleeding. They brawl then into the ring. Brett's able to take down Austin, and he puts on his finishing move, the sharpshooter. He's got it locked in. He's sitting on him. Now, remember, it's a submission match. Austin, if he says, I quit, it kind of looks like a punk. Austin's not going to quit. And Brett never let people break his hold because he wanted to protect it for moments like this. Austin's pushing his way out. Blood's pouring down his face. He's screaming in pain. And they talked, and Brett talked about the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. There's a part in that where uh, Jack Nicholson's character, uh, he's in with all of these crazies and he just wants to get out. So he looks at the, uh, I think it's like a sink or, or a fountain that's in there, and he tries to pull it out. He tries so hard to pull it out, but he can't do it. And they're like, yeah, you couldn't do it. He's like, yeah, at least I tried. Right, right. Austin's trying to pull out of basically this impossible submission hole to break out of. Blood's pouring down his face. The crowd is kind of like, well, what's happening? And then they slowly start to build. It starts to grow even more, this reaction. It grows and grows and grows. Austin tries one last time to get out, and then he passes out. Yep. He doesn't tap out to the pin. He passes out instead. The match is over. Brett's declared the winner. The referee uh, for this match was Ken Shamrock, who is a uh, UFC fighter who jumped into the WWE at this point. He pulls Brett off. And Brett, he's so just ticked about everything Austin's put him through. He starts kicking then Austin while he's down, kicking his bad leg, going after kicking him in the gut. Brett's now gone from the white knight to a man who's been pushed past his limit yep. and becomes the bad guy. But interesting thing, and then Austin in turn becomes so tough that he wouldn't quit. You've got to respect him as a decent guy now. It made Austin's career from there on, there on out. It took him to that next level, mm-hmm. to a top guy at that point. And, that's, and what's interesting, too, the WWF was touring all over the world at that point. Brett was huge everywhere, especially Europe and, of course, Canada. So whenever they would go anywhere else, Brett was a good guy. If they were in America, Brett was a bad Bad guy. guy. And that's where Brett had some of his best promos was in 97 because he would say a lot of things that still hold up now. He's like, I'm from Canada where we actually take care of the old. We don't have guns on every corner. We actually, you know, are there for those who need, like, all these really great promos. We don't look at, we don't have racial inequality. I'm sure Canada probably has some, and we don't really know about it because we don't live up there. But it was a, it was great work by him because Brett felt it. He felt like, hey, I think Canada's better. It's my home country. I love it. Right. The whole uh, Brett and the Hart Foundation feud with DX. It was good. Going back and forth and how he was very pro-Canada. And that's where D-Generation X spawns from is Brett saying, you're a bunch of degenerates. So Yeah. And, I mean, sadly, 97 had such a great high for Brett Hart with, um, you know, what was that? Uh, roommate. Oh, okay. Hey, roommates. Um, it has such a great high in that match. Brett also ends up winning the title from The Undertaker at SummerSlam that year. But then, sadly, after that, so many lows. And, yeah. you know, 97, I, you know, just loved pro wrestling. It was really at the beginning of when it was really kicking off. And it's such a shame Brett couldn't have got to enjoy the ride 
But at that point, too, Brett talked about how he didn't like how it was over-sexualized. He didn't like how he's like, I can't let my yeah. kids watch this. So I think if you watch a lot of wrestling from that time period, people tend to romanticize it. But I would argue grotesque. It, it's the personification of toxic masculinity. The, yeah. I mean, the 90s were such a different time. Yeah. It's so strange, but it was such a different time. I mean, you have, like you mentioned before, the bra and panties matches, the mud wrestling with the women. Women were just sex objects, basically. Yeah. And WWF and part of WCW. Yeah. WCW was doing that, too. Um, and just to reiterate how far I feel like wrestling's come. And it's a good note. The main event, because uh, WrestleMania is a two-night event now, the main event of the first night was uh, Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair, two African-American women. and I heard that was a good match. It was fantastic. It was the match of WrestleMania for me, and I loved it. I, by the way, I, I don't want to watch WWE too much. I really just typically focus on AEW, a little AEW. bit of New Japan. Um, but that match is incredible. And I mean, I felt myself charged because now we're seeing, yeah, women and we're seeing women of color get opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, I will say in the 90s, there was probably two women of color that were ever out there. It was Jackie and Jazz. That was it. Oh. And by the way, Jazz actually might have been early 2000s. So, oh, who was uh, the heavier set African-American woman? Can't think of her name. She's in Glow. Oh, uh, uh, she's Aja Kong, or I'm sorry, uh, Awesome Kong. Awesome Kong. Yeah, she was a little after that. Um, she was she really made her name an impact, and yep. she should have gotten a chance, more of a chance in WWE. They let her go, I believe, after she said she was pregnant. Yep. Perfect. Which shows you a lot of the things that WWE did wrong at that point. So. Yeah. And there's other things too. Very much so. Yeah. I will say another honorable mention that's more recent: the Cody. Um, Oh, his brother's Dustin. Dustin. Yeah. That match. Do you want to tell why that, or do you want me to? That's up to you. Go ahead. You're more, way more of a better so storyteller with wrestling. Than so we talked earlier about Dusty Rhodes. We've mentioned him two other times. Dusty was known for just knowing the right thing to say on a mic in order to build up a match. And Dust, uh, Dusty's oldest son is Dustin. Mm -hmm. And Dustin broke in in the 90s, or 89, actually, I believe, into wrestling. Yep. 88 or 89. And early on in his career, uh, they Dusty and Dustin were booked in a tag match. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on who it was against. Uh, so some wrestling nerd out there, please correct me so that I can remember in the future. Um, but Dusty said in a promo to build up this match to Dustin, listen, I'm, we're about to face a good tag team. I don't need a partner. I don't need a friend. I need my son. Mm -hmm. Now, fast forward. Uh, this is 2019, I believe. Uh, Dusty had sadly passed away, and uh, Dusty's youngest son, Cody, is wrestling. Cody's a very good storyteller as well. I, I would say arguably one of the best in-ring storytellers. Yeah, he, he really does get that part of it. I don't really like the uh, Anthony Agogo feud right now. It's too much Rocky. Attempt to be Rocky Four, and it doesn't really doesn't really work, but to each their own. To each their own. Um, Cody and Dustin had had a feud building for a while where they were just pissed at each other. And it ends, it's one of the best matches in recent years as well, and it deserves a big call-out. I'm glad you mentioned this match. 
It ends up Dust Dustin's bloodied up and beaten up, uh, bleeding uh, profusely. And it, the part of the other story with this is the end of the Attitude Era. Cody mentions like we f- romanticize the Attitude Area, area. Yep, area of uh, rus- era. <laughs> era of wrestling, and Dustin uh, was Gold Dust, who was a big part of the Attitude Area. Like we're putting the old people to bed. Yes. No longer going to be the attitude. It's this new generation of wrestlers, and that's me, Cody Rhodes. Yeah, and and I challenge you to look up some of Goldust's first year and a half, two years of work. It's very good work, actually. I think nowadays he might be considered a good guy. Sadly, in the misogynistic era of that time, he was considered a bad guy. Um, but they had this. Uh, Cody and Dustin had this great match. It ends with you know Dustin's bloodied and beaten up. Cody finally is able to get that win over his older brother. And and it's a classic match. And then at the end, Cody gets on the mic and he says, listen, I've got a match in a a couple months booked with the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks are arguably the best tag team right now out there. Jim Mm -hmm. Cornette would probably stab me for saying that. Jim Cornette is someone who is a wrestling historian, I will say, and someone who, you know, has a lot of passion. Um, That's the nice way of putting it. Um, But the Young Bucks are incredibly talented and very good A, businessmen and wrestlers. They deserve so much credit for what AEW has become. Cody is saying, though, to his brother, who is just bleeding and beaten up, and he says, I've got a match now with the Young Bucks in a couple months, and I don't need a partner. I don't need a friend. I need my big brother. I do cry yeah me too man oh me and too. once again this is what makes wrestling a great art form these two who were pissed at each other they went through hell for you know 20 30 minutes and then at the end cody realizes oh man this guy he's he's still got it i'm not i don't want to end his career i need him i need my big brother to help me against the young bucks Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's a classic it's such a good match it's such a good match but it's the payoff that's what's so good about it yeah it's the payoff and you know dustin is in his 50s now and so there was talks of maybe this is his last match Mm -hmm. and to prove that he can still go at it and do it and now he's like basically the dusty of aew yeah doing stuff with the women Mm -hmm. uh as in training them yes that sounded kind of weird yeah I it's knew what fine. you meant, bud. Yeah, I know. We should probably explain, though, just uh, for the listeners out there. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a huge honorable mention. Uh, one of the more recent fantastic matches. Uh, one thing I will note about this conversation, none of us picked WCW matches. I did. Well, as an honorable mention. As an honorable mention. Yeah. That's true. I mean, we didn't pick New Japan either. New Japan. Uh, There's several New Japan matches I thought about, but. Oh, you could have. I would have had no idea because I don't watch any really New Japan. I mm. followed the Bullet Club a little bit, mm. uh, but not a whole lot. If you want to see a crazy match, um, sorry, the these are crazy names here for some, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, Shibata versus Ishii. Uh, people say, of course, wrestling is not real. That's fine. You could say it is predetermined. You can say all of these different things, but if you... Look at the strikes that these guys are throwing. They are legitimately landing forearms and headbutts and kicks. Strong style. It is Japanese strong style at some of its best, and I think some of its worst, too, because of 
Shibata, sadly, not long after this, had to have his, his career ended because he nearly died after a match because yeah. um, of all the head trauma he received. But it is a brutal, hard-hitting, Japanese strong-style match in some of its best form. It's so good. Uh, the Kenny Omega, Kenny Omega Okada matches are top-notch. Classics, for sure. Um Kenny Omega versus Jericho in New Japan. That's really good. I, I love the Okada Omega matches. Folks, if you do decide to watch those, set aside about an hour for did, Okada did versus Omega. Did they do three or two? I believe three, yeah. And they're all really good. Yeah. If you <laughs> they wanna, just last a long time. If you want a quick start to New Japan, what that's probably a good start. Yeah, it is. Uh, or Tanahashi Okada. Uh, uh, Nakamura versus any of those guys. Uh, there's a lot of really great. Um, I, I would say Wrestle Kingdom is their WrestleMania in mm-hmm. Japan. Mm-hmm. It is held January 4th, no matter what day of the week it's on. January 4th every year at the Tokyo Dome. And uh, Wrestle Kingdom 9 is, I would say, a great start to, if you want to look at New Japan, get to know the style and a lot of the top names, that's a good one to watch. Absolutely. One of the fascinating, because I was struggling to come up with, you know, honorable mentions in wrestling, because I remember not so much being into, like, oh, this is my favorite match. It was more about the storytelling. Yeah. So, like, the things I remember the most is DX versus whoever, Mm -hmm. uh, HBK and Triple H, and then even later on when it was just Triple H with the New Age uh, Outlaws. And X-Pac. And X-Pac in China, and that whole story. I also remember, I said Sting was my favorite, one of my favorite, my second favorite wrestler. I don't have a, I I can't tell you one of my favorite matches from him. I can tell you one. Uh, Because what I remember the most from Sting and why he became my favorite wrestler is him versus the NWO. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. Him coming out of the Raptors, him doing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know he has classics. That Ric Flair Sting match is probably, should be an honorable mention. Sting versus Diamond Dallas Page. It was on a random Nitro. That too. And I will say Diamond Dallas Page had some of the best matches in late 90s WCW. He was also uh, 35 when he broke into the business. Oh, gosh. Yeah, he was up there. He might have been our age, but he was up there. He actually had had training earlier in the 90s. Early in? No, it might have been the 80s, actually. I think it was in the 80s. He had some training when he was younger. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, he fell fell out of it for a little bit, got into club promoting and then got back into it. As a he came back into it as a manager mm-hmm. and then he eventually started wrestling again. What's funny is I think they thought he wasn't cuz he was too old. Well, even before that, he was managing and trying to get into it like in his late 20s and early 30s and they wouldn't take him and they're like, "I might not be the right size." He's like 6'4". Mm-hmm. He's a huge dude. Yep. So, whatever. <laughs> but I I just remember they were like Sting versus NWO yeah. uh and a lot the early stuff was really good until it became like the NWO Civil War, the Wolfpack, that whole mess. I think if you go back and watch Wolfpack, you'd be surprised how much the crowd liked it. I, I know. I remember liking it. Yeah. But then going like... The story, the way they ended it with the finger poke of doom... Terrible. Yeah, and that's another... This is why people don't like Hulk Hogan. The I need the belt back sort of thing. Mm. I'm not going to put over Kevin Nash... I've done enough losing, um, you know, not being creative enough himself or anyone else to think of creative for him. Oh, let's just give the belt back to Hogan. Well, because Nash was the booker at that time. No, he wasn't. 
He wasn't? No, I thought he, he was. No, he wasn't booking at that point. He became the booker not long after that. Okay, was not. Yeah, it's that whole like thing got convoluted, and then everyone was a part of the NWO. Yeah. Even Sting was a part of the NWO. So he was part of the Wolfpack. Yeah. Not the NWO black and white. So it kind of worked because as long as he wasn't aligned with Hogan, it worked. But when you change bookers so often like they had, because Bischoff had the book for a while, and, or you know, it got to Kevin Sullivan, it got to Terry Taylor, it mm. got to Kevin Nash, back to Sullivan. It just went all these different places. Uh, it became a train wreck. And also, it kind of was like a problem that like WWE had, because they had Cena at the top. That's fine. Now you got to start building other people up. And they all, never did. They didn't. It was just feed them to Cena, and then after that, whatever happens, happens. So... WWE or sorry WCW made a huge mistake because they had guys like Goldberg, they had Sting, they had DDP who were the Diamond Dallas Page who were these top stars that were homegrown, but instead Hogan has to win. Hogan's got to pose. Mm-hmm. He's got to go over no matter what because he has it in his contract. Yep. So it's not going to help your business long term. Yeah, I, so I just remember those moments and sure. being attached to those moments. Um, Sting being a superhero against the NWO, he would come down and yeah. blow everybody up, or even Austin stunning everybody. Or yes, Steve Austin could somehow drive everything, which is a kind of an interesting character trait where he could drive a Zamboni, he could drive a beer truck, he could drive, you know, ATV. Yeah. yeah, it was it was kind of a fun thing to see. All right, what's he going to drive to the ring now? Right. The whole Austin Rock feuds, those yeah. should be honorable mentions as well. Those three WrestleMania matches. Absolutely. Austin and The Rock were just phenomenal storytelling matches. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a little surprised that there wasn't much WCW that I remember really being like, that's a match I'm going to go back to. Well, part of it too is because WCW's main event was they, always uh, a great the, build. NWO. It was always the NWO. Right, and and that's fine. You have a great build, but there's no blow-off. No. The best matches with WCW are the mid-card and the undercard. The cruiserweights, guys like Booker T and Chris Jericho, they were putting on great matches. Another um, surprisingly good match that had no build, but it was a good match. Booker T and Bret Hart. They yeah. had a great U.S. title match. Fantastic, And but of course there's no build to it. Um, you have You have all of it down there. But then you have Roddy Piper, who can't quite move anymore, has had yeah. hip surgeries against Hogan, who is not a worker, really. <laughs> so it's not going to be good. Or, you know, Savage could work with a guy who could move a lot, like DDP, could get physically could help him out. But he can't do that with Hogan. Nope. So these main events just aren't hitting all the time. Well, even the blow-off between Sting and Hogan, where Sting wins the WCW belt and uh, the stamp. No, it's a uh, Starcade. Starcade. Yeah. Was just a crap match. Yeah, and that's for a couple of reasons. It sounds like Hogan once again told the referee to all right, it was supposed to be a fast count to end it. One, two, three. Like a, a crooked referee was gonna screw over Sting. Bret Hart comes out, who is now in WCW, and was gonna say, No, I don't like screwy finishes. I'm gonna I'm now I've been given the opportunity to be a referee tonight, so I'm gonna turn this match back on. It's it's back to going. We're going to Sting and Hogan finish up clean. Instead, the referee makes a plain one, two, three, and then the whole thing gets messed up. Apparently, though, Sting kind of wasn't in the right headspace, too. He he dealt with drugs and stuff. At that what? point, I think it was at that point, I think he had he kind of had a, Sting is a, a private guy. Mm-hmm. Did I ever tell you when I got to meet him? No. 
So he lived near Waxahachie. Okay. And uh, it was Thanksgiving. Um, I remember it, I worked in morning shift, and I was going to go have Thanksgiving uh, Thanksgiving meal with Netzer. Okay. Uh, he was visiting family uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I'm there, and all of a sudden this big dude comes in, 6'4", jacked, maybe 6'5", and he stings a bigger guy. And he comes in, and I'm like, uh, he's like, uh, hey, um, I was wondering if you could recommend a coffee for me, like for Thanksgiving or a, yeah, sure. Are you Sting? <laughs> <laughs> and he just like kind of could see him roll his eyes, but like, yes. I'm like, oh, cool, honored to meet you. And then I gave him a few suggestions. And after that, I think I might have even given him my, because when you worked at Starbucks, you got one free bag of coffee a week. Mm-hmm. I think I gave him my bag of coffee. <laughs> That's I was, funny. Like, trying to. Be nice to because I'm like, oh, I dressed up as you as Wolfpack Sting for Halloween. So <laughs> I had the shirt, the yeah, Wolfpack shirt. I have a Wolfpack shirt that I dug up. I'll have to see if it's the same one. Is, is it just red and black NWO? Uh-huh. Well, mine's got the entire Wolfpack on it. So, oh, okay, yeah, okay. It's okay. a little different, but nice. a little different. Yeah, a little different. I guess so, folks. I guess we're, we're about to wrap this up. This has been a really fun for me to talk about wrestling, but whenever someone talks about it, they could be a weird dude. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, but understand, it's a performance art that might not capture you, but it does other people. You might enjoy um, you know, Broadway musicals. You might enjoy um, you know, a, a, a thriller that's based on a real murder. I don't know. Um, but this is just another performance art that's out there that probably deserves a little more respect for its physical storytelling mm-hmm. as well as the uh, dedication of its fans to stick around for years to see character development. Yep. And I fell out of love with it in, I don't know, 2013. I stopped watching it and then I came back to it when Goldberg returned in 2016, which uh, maybe that Brock WrestleMania Goldberg match could be an honorable mention. Phenomenal match. Three minutes long, it was perfect. Two hosses going at each other, doing finishers. And yeah, okay. If you want to see two hosses and have a longer match, I'm going to be a nerd here. Uh, Ishii versus Makabe, uh, Res- uh, Wrestle Kingdom Nine. That's a better hoss fight. Uh, okay, uh, I just really appreciate that match. Okay, it's the return of Goldberg to form. They were making up for the WrestleMania a while ago, where. Everyone hated that match, and it's Goldberg showing up and being Goldberg again, like you remember him being in WCW and just demolishing Brock. They, they figured out how to book Goldberg a lot better. Yes. That's, that was better on them. And Goldberg, you know, he is what he is. He's, he's a, an attraction and should be booked that way. So, yep. yeah. and, and so I watched a little bit, but then I fell out of love with it. But then I started watching BTE, not watching wrestling. BTE is being the elite, which is the Young Bucks uh it's weekly, I believe. Yep, uh, every Monday. Every Monday, they'll they'll put that out. It's almost like a sketch show that they put it's out. It's a sketch show slash vlog. They do actually have vlogs where it's just the Bucks talking about. Which was, I enjoyed the vlogs more, personally. Really? Yeah. I like the kind of the mishmash. Of it's fun. Like, the comedy stuff's fun, but I just like their, their vlogs more personally. Right. Uh, and so I started watching BTE and not watching wrestling at all. And then I fell in love with that show the bte show and then when i saw they were making their new company got back into wrestling again yeah i fell out of love with it when uh it was uh, i believe 2007 
Another one of my all-time favorite wrestlers is Chris Benoit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, many of you will know who Chris Benoit is just by me saying that. Um, obviously, what happened there with what he ended up killing his son, his wife, and himself. Um, and it, you know, if you research everything you want to about Chris Benoit, it's a very interesting story. Very sad. Mm-hmm. But he was one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. Um yeah. He had some incredible matches and incredible stories, too. It was very similar to Eddie Guerrero, but without the drug problems. Um, and in fact, Eddie Guerrero's death, a lot of people believe, was a catalyst for Chris Perfect. Benoit losing his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's uh, for me, absolutely tragic um, what happened. And, and for his wife and son to be killed that way is, is awful. And I understand why we should not honor Chris Benoit. Nope. Um, and it's tough for me to say as a big Chris Benoit fan because I can watch his matches and be enthralled, but you cannot get past a murder of your child and wife. No. Uh, ever. But whenever that happened, I stopped watching for a while mm-hmm. because now two of my favorite wrestlers, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, died very young and tragically in both ways. And my all-time favorite wrestler, Bret Hart, uh, the way he kind of described wrestling is it it broke up his life in a lot of ways. Yeah. So it kind of killed it for me a lot. For me, what got me back into it was CM Punk's shoot promo in 2011. Uh, Worked shoot, I should say. And by the way, a shoot is whenever someone starts talking about the truth whenever they're on the microphone. The pipe bomb? Uh, Yeah, the pipe bomb. I think that was 2013. Uh, Look it up for me, but I thought it was 11. Um, Might have been 13, but I thought it was 11. Um, Uh, It was 11, yeah. It was 11? Okay. it punk was Roddy Piper with a little more athleticism and just a modern version of someone who could just talk their way into some amazing uh, matches and then deliver a very good match every time. Mm-hmm. Um, punk sadly kind of has had a similar, uh, maybe it's definitely not the same as Bret Hart, um, but just a very public falling out with WWE and Vince McMahon. But, um, you could watch his matches and, and his the stories he told and, and really kind of get enthralled um, kind of with someone who could be an amazing good guy and amazing bad guy, uh, similar to Eddie Guerrero. So mm-hmm. um, that was what got me back into it. And just those memories of as a child who the, uh, I know I'm on a podcast and this is meant to be personal and this is something that's hard for me to fully talk about, but I think it's worth it now because I've been talking about something I'm so passionate about. My relationship with my dad was not super solid. He's a very difficult man emotionally. Um, and he didn't understand his son, me, who was a kind of a sensitive kid who needed someone to listen occasionally to, mm-hmm. or just to show some mercy and grace. My, my dad, I will say, um, was a hardworking man. We always had food on the table and clothes on our backs and a roof over our head. And I am grateful for that. But we couldn't connect at all. And I was scared of him in a lot of ways. And having pro wrestling, the story of you see these dudes that look cool and they are superheroes that aren't in a cartoon form. They've come to life. And when you're seven years old and you need some sort of kind of a a real life uh, male superhero in a way, pro wrestling gave me that. And people might snicker at that. That's fine. Um, People might look down on that. That's on you. Right. But I will say this. 
without pro wrestling, I don't think I would have had a, a, a stable mentality because it gave me the freedom to imagine and to make believe because I was not allowed to do that as a kid. Mm. We had, uh, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or X-Men or Batman or I wasn't allowed to take part in those kind of things. It was only sports. I could sneak away and watch Saturday Night Main Event because my dad was focused on a Bible study and at night I could get upstairs to the TV and watch that. My mom was in a hospital room, and I was able to sneak in to, um, you know, watch the TV. My mom said, oh, I know you like it. You can watch it. I know your dad doesn't let you watch it, but watch this Bret Hart guy. I know you like him. So I could watch him have a match with Barbarian and for me be enthralled with it. Right. And that's what pro wrestling gave me. I'm not saying it's going to give you that, but at least appreciate it enough to know why people love pro wrestling. For sure. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm. It was escapism for me, being always a smaller kid that got made fun of in elementary school, middle school, and the escapism of these smaller guys overcoming the odds. Yeah. Somewhere David and Goliath in a lot of ways. That's yeah. why I identify with Shawn Michaels, or you know, even taking out like a guy Diesel who was almost seven feet tall the that sort of mentality and then because it becomes a so a part of my childhood it's almost nostalgia yeah. to go back and be like oh i remember why i love this so much absolutely um and i guess that's why i don't identify with the matches per se it's the storytelling and the character development and those moments yeah i get it for me the matches though oftentimes you can get a story within it yeah that's what i love so much that's why i talk about you know the double turn of Austin and, and, and Hart is amazing. Brett comes in a good guy, leaves a bad guy. Austin, a bad guy, turns into a good guy. And it all happens in, throughout the match. In the beginning, Brett's wrestling like a good guy. By the end, he's fighting like a bad guy and yeah. vice versa. So I, I kind of love finding those moments because that's where some real depth can be found. You really have to pay attention and pull now into some of the things. And now the finish is sometimes an easy way to find the storytelling. Like we talked about with Cody and Dustin. Mm-hmm. That's a great finish. Yep. You can find that story right there. And it's perfect. It so, is perfect. Yeah. So. so that's all I got. That's all I got to, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Just say, thank you so much for listening. Definitely appreciate, uh, you sticking around for this. And, uh, Tim, love you, man. Love you too.